The Master Tavern Keepers History of the Old World. Good evening on this most portentous Gehemisnacht, when the veil between the realm of the living and those of the never-born is thinnest, and evil stalks the streets. In light of this, the other tutors and I have come to the decision that it is best that you all lodged here at the tavern on this most dangerous of nights. Luckily for you lot, only the four famous adventurers Sven Hammerhelm, Toralian Leafstar, although that's not his real name according to the Guildmaster, Heinrich Lowen, and the wizard Magnus the Bright are lodging here at the moment, so there's uh, plenty of room for you, and surely you'll all be safe in such illustrious company. Oh, so you want to know how my ale-making experiments with your alchemy tutor Cedric went. Well, in short, it was a disaster. I don't know what they drink in Old Albion, but it is not fit for consumption down here in Tobaro. Despite Cedric's stamp of approval, claiming, I don't see what the problem is. It'll get you well off your face. To quote the man himself, it's not something I will be selling in the tavern. At least, not yet. So, my ale supply issue does not look like it's going to be easily resolved whilst the occupation by the Skaven continues. Uh, I guess it's back to our uh, friendly neighbourhood smugglers, although I barely dare contemplate the prices they're now charging with the uh, hobbling of the guild. <gasps> I'm sorry, apprentices. I did not mean to remind you of that. Anyway, let's um, let's leave all that for the time being and continue with the tale of Ibn Jalaba down in the jungles of the Southlands. Oh, just a moment. Before that, let me just relate this bizarre piece of serendipity. It will also serve as an excellent recap to the story so far. Last night, I was rifling through some papers looking for the full name of Ibn Jalaba. And no, I didn't find it. Not yet. I was rather the worse for wear after drinking with Cedric, I'm afraid to say. In fact, so much so that I tripped over the corner of the very rug that you are all now sat upon. Beneath, I found my original translation of the book Ibn had written at the time of his first expedition. He had given it to me as a present when he finally left our ship, the Ava Phantom at the port of El Calabat. Ah, the memories. Now she was a good old vessel, an imperial war galley that had been overhauled and recommissioned as a trading ship back in Nome. I'll tell you all her saga one day, but uh, not today. Anyway, I wish to read you an extract from the book. After trekking, 
for three weeks across the burning void. We reached Greenland, covered with scrub and thorn bushes. My Tuaregs were able to smell water in the breeze, so we found several unknown oases and water holes. I carefully recorded the position of these according to sightings upon the sun, moon, and stars, so that those who might come after us shall not die of thirst. I also had these places marked with cairns of stones. No one from Araby had ever been into this green land before, not even the Tuaregs, and so we were all on our guard against ambushes and wild beasts. I had to promise the Tuaregs more gold to persuade them to leave the desert and continue with me into this unknown land. After several days, the trees became more numerous, and soon the vegetation was so dense that the eunuchs were hardly able to cut away through with their scimitars. Then, suddenly, we came upon a paved road which was open to the sky. The road was very ancient and overgrown with weeds, and stretched far off towards the different horizon. As it was certainly aligned upon the southern constellation, I decided we should follow it. At that time, I believed it had been made by the people of Al-Nehekaria long ago. Now I think we're all back up to speed. However, before we return to the rest of Ibn Jalaba's story, I wish to address something that young Fazari here asked after our last session. Why? If the purpose of the expedition was to find an overland route to the far east, did the Sultan send Ibn and his eunuch guards to the south? The answer is simple. The World's Edge Mountains. That great range of mountains that stretches unbroken from the northern wastes all the way down to the Antipodean tip of the Southlands forms a natural and near insurmountable barrier between west and east. The only way through is via mountain passes, and each of these are hotly contested points of conflict between the nations. Often, the resources it requires to conquer and then defend one of these passes can easily overshadow the more modest resources required to search for a way around. For the Sultan, the only pass in the Southlands was the Charnel Valley, deep in Nehekara, the land of the dead. In order to hold this, it would have required the pacification of all of the undying legions of Setra in their own land. And whilst the men and women of Araby are ferocious fighters, they are but men, and thus mortal. Sending Ibn and his few camels and eunuchs down south is a far easier option. The only army that could truly defeat the immortal servants of the Tomb Kings is another army of the undead. And when the dead fight against the dead, then truly the end times would be upon us. Let us pray such a thing never comes to pass. And so, back to Ibn Jalaba. The expedition covered great distances traveling on the ancient causeway south. Ibn described to my tutor and I 
how the jungle became even denser on either side of the road as they progressed, and the only breaks in the canopy of green was where it gave way to deadly swamps. Fortunately, the causeway allowed the expedition to bypass these. Despite the profusion of fauna in the jungle, which the eunuchs hunted and ate to supplement the expedition's rations, water was still an issue. The swamp water was obviously not drinkable, but also pools of apparently clean water equally posed a threat to life and limb. Ibn related one story to us. The Tuareg head guide Amistan led some camels to an idyllic watering hole they had discovered by the side of the causeway. The animals began to drink. He turned his eyes away from them for only a moment when, suddenly, the beasts flew into a panic and began to stampede away from the water's edge. Amistan and the other Tuareg quickly got the beasts back under control but could not get them to return to the pool. Amistan himself went to look at the waters to see what had spooked them and quickly saw the reason. The carcass of a camel lay in the water. It must have strayed too far into the pool and been dragged to a watery grave. However, there was very little left of the dead camel. Its bones had been picked clean of the surrounding flesh in mere minutes. Amastan told even that, as he stood there, looking at the fallen animal, he felt as if he was being watched. He peered into the tree line and saw many sets of reptilian eyes suddenly blink and then disappear into the darkness of the jungle. The expedition journeyed for weeks in this fashion until, eventually, they saw the top of what appeared to be a tall tower glittering far off in the distance. Ibn's first thought was that he had reached the southern tip of the continent and they could at last see the fabled fortress of Dawn, the island port city of the High Elves of Ulthwan, said to be built around a single colossal waystone. More on this place in a future lesson. However, as Ibn got closer, he realised that it was no tower, rather some form of stepped pyramid of a tight he had never seen before. It was very different to the pointed pyramids of the tomb kings of Nehekara, for at its zenith was a flat platform. Questions flooded into his mind. Who had created it? Who lived there now? Was this some twisted offshoot of the mortuary cult of Kemri, here deep in the jungle? Or was this perhaps the rumoured abode of the terrible El Sorim? The what? You know thou ask. Do not worry, it is nothing new. Merely the Arabic term for what we call the Lizardmen. And at this point, they finally show their faces. High above the Arabian caravan, dark shadows circled. At first, Ibn feared it was a flock of giant undead carrion from the dark kingdom of the Tomb Kings. But as their human eyes below adjusted to the bright sky above, they could see that the silhouettes were not feathered flying creatures, 
but more like reptilian bats, but with long, beaked avian faces. Each appeared to be carrying what looked like a small cannonball dangling from their hind legs, and upon their backs they bore crested riders wielding short, spear-like weapons. Ibn wished to avoid a fight against such enemies. With the expedition confined to the exposed area of the causeway, and with only the Tuareg scouts possessing any real long-range capabilities, Ibn quickly realized that they were in a very disadvantageous position. Thus, he ordered that anyone firing at the flying creatures above would be executed. They waited, and soon the silhouettes in the sky began to grow distant as they headed back to the far-off pyramid. Oh! Good evening, dear. Is it ready? Excellent. Dear Neophytes, I present to you my better half, the true boss in the tavern. And we will have to leave our story there for now. There is something far more pressing for us to attend to, as you can see by the cauldron my dearest is bearing. Tonight is Gehemisnacht, and dark magic abounds. When I was a bairn, my mother used to make us a broth that she said would keep us safe on this most evil of nights. And if you look at that there cauldron bubbling over the fire, you can see that I've done the same. As she served us from the cauldron, she always used to recite the following verse. Don't worry though, it's not the recipe I followed. It's merely invoking the old powers to keep us safe from harm. I heard that a version of this old verse has been included in the new production of The Tragedy of Macbeth. I do look forward to seeing that once the occupation is over. Anyway, let us begin. Round about the cauldron gather and hearken to the words of mother. First a toad from under cold stone, that days and nights has thirty-one known. Sweltered venom when sleeping got, boil thou first in the charmed pot. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Fill it of a badland snake, in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of grot and spawn of frog, beastman's hoof and hair of dog, ear of orc and nettling spite sting, lizardman's leg and carrion's wing, for a charm against powerful trouble, like a hell broth, boil and bubble. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Claw of dragon and dire wolf, which is familiar, moor and gulf, of the ravined sea, salt shark, goblins mushroom found in the dark, liver of a skaven slave, and the heart from a western knave, bathed in blood by moorsleeves light, half fed in feast to an ignorant knight. Millet seeds and flesh of crab make the gruel thick and slab. Add thereto a drop from the ocean, 
for the ingredients of our potion. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. And with that, bottoms up. And don't forget this. You are the seeds of our future. But without the nourishment of the past, you will wither. Have a safe sleep, and I will see you all on the morrow. <laughs>